Hello. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit each week on Sundays at 10.45 a.m. during this time that we can't gather together in person. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you to our service. I especially want to welcome you if you're new to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Please feel free to say hello in the Facebook comments if you're on a platform where you're able, and let us know from where you're viewing the service. Unitarian Universalists come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's connect those divine sparks now, either by posting a greeting to one another in the Facebook comments, or simply by sensing the heartstring connections that exist between us. Please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. This is a quote from Fred Recklaw's book, Partners in Care. Medicine and ministry together. Cure may occur without healing, and healing may occur without cure. Cure alters what is, healing offers what might be. Cure is an act, healing is a process. Cure seeks to change reality, healing embraces reality. Cure takes charge. Healing takes time. Cure avoids grief. Healing assumes grief. Cure speaks. Healing listens. One of the things that helps keep us bound together as a religious community, even when we cannot be together physically, is to share a common purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. We hold it in our hearts all during the week, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you want to know more about what we mean by beloved community, visit the Martin Luther King Center at kingcenter.org. And each week, to help us deepen our understanding of beloved community and the challenges we face in helping to build it, we've been taking a moment to consider how people who are oppressed may experience our world very differently. As you have no doubt witnessed, our current White House occupant has been engaged in unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud to deny the results of our recent election. As a part of that effort, his team has worked through various means to nullify the votes of voters in geographic areas with large African-American populations in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and elsewhere. 
This, after his party made huge efforts prior to the election targeting African-American voters to suppress their vote by making it harder for these folks to vote and through other means. Of course, we have a long history of denying the right to vote to African-Americans in this country. So if you're not among the groups that have been targeted for voter suppression, I'd ask you to think a little bit. What would it feel like if you encountered constant efforts to suppress your right to vote and then to deny your vote after it had already been cast? Our reading today comes to us from the Reverend Nancy Schaffer. Reverend Schaffer served several UU churches in her time as a minister, her final call being in Ann Arbor, Michigan. In a book of meditation she wrote named Instructions in Joy, she included the piece Mending. Here are these words. How shall we mend you, sweet soul? What shall we use, and how is it in the first place you've come to be torn? Come sit. Come tell me. We will find a way to mend you. I would offer you so much, sweet soul, this banana sliced in rounds of palest yellow, a top hot cereal, or these raisins scattered through it, if you'd rather. Would offer cellos in the background singing melodies Vivaldi heard and wrote for us to keep would hold out to you everything colored blue or lavender or light green all of this I would offer you sweet soul all of it or any piece of it might mend you I would offer you sweet soul this chair by the window, this sunlight on the floor, and the cat asleep in it. I would offer you my silence, my presence, all this love I have, and my sorrow you've become torn. How shall we mend you, sweet soul? With these, I think, gently, we can begin. We will mend you with a rocking chair, some raisins, a cat, a field of lavender beginning now to bloom. We will mend you with songs remembered entirely the first time ever they are heard. We will mend you with pieces of your own sweet self, sweet soul, with what you've taught from the very beginning. I invite you now into a time of centering, a time of breathing deeply in and then out 
in and out. And as we breathe deeply, let us feel the heartstrings that keep us connected with one another as we transform virtual space into beloved religious community. Breathe in, breathe out, follow that breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater calmness, a place of healing and growth, a place where that spark of the divine dwells within each of us. We'll have a few moments of music during which I invite you to continue meditative breathing and, if you wish, to light a candle representing your joys, sorrows, remembrances, hopes. If you're not where you can light an actual candle, you can light a virtual candle at gratefulness.org. During the COVID-19 pandemic, alcohol sales in the U.S. have increased by 55% compared to the previous year. The Centers for Disease Control detail how, in large surveys, over 1 in 10 Americans report starting or increasing some form of substance misuse. 40.9% of people report experiencing more than one mental-emotional health disorder. Anxiety problems are three times higher than the previous year. 
Depression is four times higher. Twice as many people are experiencing suicidal ideation. 26.3% of people report COVID-19-related trauma and stress-related disorder. And the actual rates of these difficulties are likely much higher than identified in these surveys because people tend to underreport emotional health issues. And certain subpopulations are experiencing even higher rates, including young adults age 18 to 24, people of color, persons with less than a high school diploma, essential workers, including medical personnel, unpaid caregivers for adult family members, and people already receiving treatment for anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. We're wounded. We're traumatized. We are in need of healing. So... It seems extremely timely that the spiritual topic we're exploring as a church this month is healing. Now that's a huge, multifaceted topic. So today I'm going to focus in on a specific aspect of the healing process. The church's board of trustees, our senior minister Meg and I, are in the middle of reading and discussing the book, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies, by Resma Minicum. It's a powerful book, and I'm sure I'll return to it more in future sermons, and I hope you'll get the chance to read it also if you have not already. For now, though, I want to focus in on an aspect of Menachem's work that I think is profoundly useful regarding the process of healing. Menachem writes that science is finding our deepest emotions, emotions like trauma, anxiety, grief, they involve the activation of a complex system of nerves that connects the brainstem, throat, heart, lungs, stomach, gut, spine, and muscular skeletal system. Scientists call this the vagus nerve. Menachem calls it our soul nerve, at least in part, because it is connected to a part of our brain structure that functions on a subconscious level. It's a structure more similar to the brains of lower mammals and reptiles. Sometimes called the lizard brain, this part of the brain goes into protective survival mode when it senses danger. It commands our body to engage in a limited number of survival techniques. Rest, fight, flight, or freeze. And when it senses danger, the soul nerve reacts before the cognitive areas of the brain. In fact, it can block sensory input from ever reaching the cognitive areas of the brain. Thus, for instance, when a trauma response is activated, our bodies may simply react without much, if any, conscious thought ever being applied. Thus, Menachem says that trauma is embedded in our very bodies, as well as other deep emotions. 
And he cites recent research that has even found that experiences of trauma can be passed down from one generation to future generations, not just through socialization, but through genetic changes that embed a sort of genetic trauma memory that's passed on from parents to their offspring. Thus, he posits that while cognitive and behavioral approaches can help with emotional healing, body-centered approaches are also necessary. Now, he discusses all of this in relation to embodied trauma experienced by African Americans, white folks, and law enforcement because of racism and white supremacy culture in the U.S. However, I think this concept of embodied trauma and other emotions likely also applies to the types of emotional issues due to COVID-19 that I spoke about earlier. I want to share with you a couple of illustrations of this type of embodied trauma from some experiences my spouse Wayne and I have encountered. So mine occurred over 25 years ago. Someone driving at a high rate of speed ran a stop sign to my right and struck the passenger side of my car. The impact was so strong that my car glanced off of it, ran off the road to the left, and struck a telephone pole head-on. The pole broke in half. It left a round indentation in the shape of the pole in the front of my car. I was fortunate enough that my airbag deployed, and I survived with nothing worse than a couple of black eyes and, and a heavy case of embodied trauma. To this day, if someone approaches a stoplight or stop sign from my right and stops at the last minute, or does that thing that people do when they keep rolling forward bit by bit, my hands involuntarily grip the steering wheel tightly. My throat constricts. My heart rate goes up. I have to override my foot wanting to stop down on the brake pedal. Wayne's experience has to do with the name-calling and bullying many of us who are gay experienced when we were younger. A few years ago, we used to get our dog food and supplies at this locally-owned pet store that has since closed. We really liked the owner. He had always been very friendly to us. Well, Wayne was in the store by himself one day, and as he was taking his items up to the counter, the store owner, who was behind the counter, suddenly looked up and said, Well, hey there, Tinkerbell. Wayne says his fists, his fists clenched involuntarily, his muscles tensed, his face felt flush, just as the words, Who the are you calling Tinkerbell were about to escape his lips, Wayne heard a little bell sound from just below his feet. He looked down to see a white toy poodle wearing a sweater with Tinkerbell embroidered on the side of it and who was indeed wearing a Tinkerbell. And thus, an embodied, trauma-induced, highly unfortunate incident was barely avoided. Now... Wayne and I had both done cognitive work around these past experiences, but notice we were not cured. And these types of embodied emotional echoes are exactly where Menachem says that body-centered approaches may help further our healing. 
Throughout his book, Menachem offers exercises he calls body practices. I'd like to invite you to participate in a couple of them now, modified slightly for our context. The first is an exercise to help us begin to identify where emotions show up in our own individual bodies. I invite you to find a comfortable place to sit, if you haven't already. Find a comfortable place to sit. Take a few breaths to ground yourself in your own body. Notice the outline of your skin and the slight pressure of the air around it. Experience the firmer pressure of the chair or other support beneath you. Can you sense hope in your body? Where? How does your body experience that hope? Is it a release or expansion? A tightening? born of eagerness or anticipation. What specific hopes accompany these sensations? The chance to heal? To live a bigger, deeper life? Do you experience any fear in your body? If so, where? How does it manifest? As tightness? As a painful radiance? as a dead, hard spot? What worries accompany the fear that your life will be different in ways you can't predict? The raw, wordless fear and perhaps excitement that heralds change? What pictures appear in your mind as you experience that fear? If your body feels both hopeful and afraid, that's okay. That is likely normal, given our times. Now, let's try another one designed to help us settle our vagus nerve system. Again, take a few deep breaths. Let your body relax. Think of a person, an animal, or a place that makes you feel safe and secure. Now imagine that this person or animal is beside you right now, or that you are in that safe place. Breathing naturally, let yourself experience that safety and security. Feel it into your body. Where does it seem constricted, uncomfortable, or unwell in any way? Note each of these locations. Pick one of these locations and focus on it. For a few breaths, let yourself fully experience the constriction or discomfort. Then once again, visualize the person, 
animal or place that helps you feel safe and secure. Imagine you are in that place or that the person or animal is beside you. Experience the safety and security for a few breaths. Sometime after this service, I invite you to do this for each part of your body that felt uncomfortable or constricted. And I encourage you to work this idea of somatic practices into your life during these emotionally challenging times. They really can help bring healing. And there are many other practices he lists in my grandmother's hands. You can find still more with a simple internet search. And do a search on healing justice. Take a look at the communal body-centered practices folks, largely socially active queer people of color, are doing to help each other heal the trauma that often drives us into social justice activism to begin with. They're realizing that it can also hold us back if we leave it unaddressed. There are also simpler actions that can help calm our soul nerve, Controlling the rate of our breath for a few moments. Allowing ourselves to have a good cry or express our emotions in some way. Exercising, walking, immersing ourselves in nature, practicing yoga, hugging, and other appropriate forms of touch if we live in the same household with loved ones. Gardening, dancing, singing, just to name a few. Speaking of singing and dancing, I encourage you, as you watch these services online, sing along with the hymns, dance or sway to the musical pieces if you feel so moved. Even though we must be physically apart for now, we can still create community and communal healing through those heartstring connections that continue to bind us together as religious community. I'd like to close by returning to the lovely Nancy Schaffer poem that Bear read for us earlier. As the poem illustrates, we can also settle that soul nerve by allowing ourselves to engage with experiences that speak to us differently than words and can calm and comfort us. Music, colors we find soothing, Food that comforts, calming imagery, a beloved pet, a favorite chair or spot, listening to what our bodies and our own inner voice are trying to tell us. How shall we mend you, sweet soul? With these, I think, gently we can begin. We will mend you with a rocking chair, some raisins, a cat, a field of lavender beginning now to bloom. We will mend you with songs remembered entirely the first time ever they were heard. We will mend you 
with pieces of your own sweet self, sweet soul, with what you've taught from the very beginning. My beloveds, in times such as these, some wounds may run deeply into our very souls. Such wounds may never get fully cured. However, with intentional healing practices and help, if we need to seek it out, they can, they can break our hearts wide open, moving us to help nourish the souls of others. May we mend our own sweet souls and to the degree we are able, offer nourishment to those of others. Amen. Now, please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. you peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.